This podcast is supported by Red Energy, powered by the mighty Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Red is a hundred percent Australian owned and local. Phone one three one eight zero six. How do you feel when that Daniel Andrews says we should feel very proud? Damn right we should, Dan. I think we should all feel proud of the contribution that we've all made, actually, to the health of our community. I've been told I'd be very welcome to move up to Queensland, but look, two months is a very long time. In fact, someone from the AFL hub said, uh, bring your podcast mate up. You know, she can stay there. Oh, and I'd be very happy on a banana lounge beside you reading a book, Carol, with a cup of tea. I am grumpy about my football club. The Richmond Football Club is in the eight. People think that they can maybe win the flag. They're certainly not favourite at the moment, though, but they're not behaving well. If I was Brendan Gale and Peggy O'Neill, I would be worried about some of the behaviour going on in the hubs. I am the canary down the coal mine this week, Caro, finding freedom, Harry and Megan, and the making of oh, a modern royal family. Brilliant. For me, it's a social observation as much as it is, you know, old goody, some gossip about the royals. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Thanks to Red Energy. Welcome, everybody. It's episode 141 of, oh, I was going to say the great Don't Shoot the Messenger. Corey, I feel like we're pretty great at the moment. We've been going for so long. We've battled through pandemics and international travel and uh, recessions and maybe depressions and states of emergency. And we're still here, and <laughs> Caro, we just last week or the week before celebrated the podcast's third birthday, and we're now coming up to our 150th show. So who knows what will happen for our 200s? Maybe we'll all be able to gather for a party. I think we'll be wearing masks, I've got to say. But Corey, um, the other thing that is good about Milestones this week is that we're halfway, th- we're more than halfway through stage four lockdown. And I just feel that whatever happens, stage four will end around September 14. And boy, am I looking forward to that. Now, um, there's a lot to talk about. A bit of housekeeping first. Um, Re-COVID dreams. I Cochrane on Insta says every night she dreams she has a really sore throat and wakes up to find it's a dream and not a COVID symptom. <laughs> that is a really, really bad way. <laughs> <laughs> a really bad way to spend your, your sleep. Corrie, a lot of people have rung up with sleep suggestions for you, but I want to mention first our friend Christine Dunn, who was very interested to hear what we said last week about Angela Thurkle, the author my mum put me on to, who spent um, eight or nine years in Melbourne before moving back to London, escaping her husband. She lived in Christine's house and her son, Graham McKinnon. Wow. Her son, and she was in Malvern. She was a Malvern woman. That some people might say, no wonder she went back to London, but, you know, I'm a former Malvern person too. And she mentions Graham McInnes, who we mentioned, who wrote um, about his mother's 10 years in Australia. It was called The Road to Gundagai. One chapter is devoted to adventures in Christine's house. So what an amazing small world. Mother, well, he... it's just, go on. I just had a feeling, Caro, when you mentioned that on the podcast, there would be some connection somewhere because it's not... Um, it is an unusual name. It's not a common name, Circle. And as you delved further with your story last week, which was most interesting, 
it seemed like there were relatives all over the place. Well, Graham wrote about his mother. She had an invincible contempt for things Australian and made no bones about it. So far as she was concerned, it was an entire continent peopled by the lower orders. So um, as Christine says, I was right. She was a bit of a snob. A lot of chapters on Scotch College, Turak Scouts, but very interesting memoir about growing up in Melbourne in the 1920s. And Corrie, um, some lovely sleep suggestions. A couple agreed with me about the nightlight in the book and um, this particular reader, um, sorry, podcaster, has seen on Instagram and wondered whether you'd tried this app that um, is called Good Morning. Have you heard about this? No, I haven't, but a number of um, potties. Thank you, everybody, for your very, very generous. You're such a generous and caring bunch, all of you. Thanks for your ideas. A number of them suggested different apps, Cara, including our friend Annie Seckle, who said she uses the RAIN app, which is good for sending her off to sleep, and she sets the timer for an hour. Annie, I have tried the RAIN app, but I hate to say it makes me want to get up and go to the toilet whenever I listen to it. <laughs> My cousin Georgie um, Elizabeth... loves the RAIN app, Corrie, but we didn't yeah, need the RAIN app over painful. the weekend. because no we, was... no, we had it on the roof, Caro. <laughs> but, um, and, Elgosa, can I just say, um, I think you should apologise for constantly talking up the weather, and because as soon as you do, we have the most bitter freezing four days in a row that Melbourne's had and, and record rainfall in Mel- record rainfall in Melbourne after you said that you thought that we'd seen the last of winter. Just don't talk about the weather again. Elizabeth Gayton, thank you for your lovely email. She said, my dad's a doctor who brought us up understanding the value of resting. You may not be asleep, but your body can still benefit from rest. I used this strategy when breastfeeding and added my own layer. Never look at the clock and add up the hours of sleep you had sleep you might have had you're in a on a hiding to nowhere and i think that's right caro you know i was thinking about the importance of rest and how we so conveniently define it as a good night's sleep but in fact you can just lie there and chill out i have been using elizabeth's technique i have to say the last couple of nights and just one other one anita zima who's been on our show before neat says try this one nothing to lose rub vicks vapor rub all over your feet put on a pair of old socks and hop into bed. Voila! It's a Chinese thing about warm feet and it works for me. I'd never heard that. Well, you'll have nice soft feet by the end of it, even if you even if you get no sleep. That's I've never heard it either. A couple of our, our, our listeners also, like Felicity Brown and a couple of others, also suggested um, the tactic that you and I love so dearly, which is a magnesium tablet before you go to bed. And Corrie, none of those electronic devices anywhere. You can't be able to touch them. Anyway, that's just what works for me. But I'm lucky. Sleep has not eluded me lately. Thank the heavens. And Corrie, just before we go on to our first item, Linda Goldsmith via email on a trip to Georgia in the Caucasus region last year on a university archaeology dig, stopped in the capital to to Tbilisi, I don't know how you pronounce that. Tbilisi, yeah. For a bit of shopping, and um, at the closest bookshop, found Enid Blyton's Five on a Treasure Island in Georgian script. She sent us a picture, hysterical. I love that picture, Miss Jane. You're going to have to put that up on the podcast. That's a collector's item. Caro, how's your August challenge and your posies going? Oh, I didn't send you my posy last week. Oh, no, I'm... I know. I... There are potties around the world who are desperate. They're waiting with bated breath. Well, this week they're going to get camellias and clivias as part of a very nice posy that I've managed to secure 
from a very small courtyard at outside my back door. I actually did some gardening last week and um, I'm pretty happy, Corrie, with my posies and I'm still picking and I cannot believe this camellia tree with absolutely no love at all continues to yield the most incredible flowers. What about you? How's your challenge? Well, uh, as, as you know, 60,000 steps a week and uh, I haven't had a walk this morning so I figure that I'll get there today. But last night when I calculated it, I can't believe it, I got to 49,822 and I thought if only I'd just taken a few more, I would have got to the 50, which mentally would have been very helpful. But look, I'm walking today, so I'm sure I'll crack it. But look, the good thing is not so much about whether I really get there in the end, Caro, it's the process. And it's actually for me, this, these last couple of weeks, been a great challenge because of the routine. Oh, it is. It's it's great to be forced out the door, and you actually feel a bit twitchy, don't you? If you get to mid morning and you haven't you haven't knocked off you do. six or seven thousand steps, it's, you um, do. It's really funny. It's like um, I don't know. It's like counting counting calories when we were teenagers and sort of obsessed about um, Weight Watchers and things. And I, I, I'm in the same sort of zone a bit. If I haven't clocked up a certain amount, I do get freshish. Do you want to hear my monthly average as we sit here right now? My, like sure. My monthly average. Why not? Ab- we don't have anything else to talk about. <laughs> or do my monthly average steps per day ten thousand four hundred? Thank you very much. That's really great. That is really great. That would be slightly higher than mine, I think. The trick is um, just that's really good. Unless you have to work at night, which I do a few nights a week. If you're just thinking, oh, it might be nice to have a glass of wine or get the dinner on or watch the news, go for a half hour walk. I agree. After you've Couldn't already agree more. Now, Corrie... Um, and, then, and, then, and then come home and have seven glasses of wine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because you've had done your 10,000 steps, so you can do anything. Now, um, how do you feel, Corrie, getting on to matters lockdown and COVID? How do you feel when that Daniel Andrews says we should feel very proud? Oh, damn right we should, Dan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I don't... Re- Look, Carol, I don't really need the Premier to say it in the same tone as your mother might you know, when you get a good mark on your English exam. But I think we should all feel proud of the contribution that we've all made, actually, to the health of our community. And most people have been disciplined and most people are doing it, yes, reluctantly, but we are contributing. So I I think we should feel proud and I think we should continue to pat ourselves on the back. Yeah, well... I think it's wonderful. The numbers seem to be, you know, settling in the hundreds. Touch wood, touch everything, cross every finger. The one, the one hundreds, yeah. Yep, yeah, yeah, the hundreds. Um, but um, oh, look, he's being smashed in the media, and um, he announced on Monday that he's going to attempt to um, extend the state of emergency by twelve months. People have really not liked that. There's been some real backlash. You know, the whole sort of chairman Dan. Dan Trump, I mean, Neil Mitchell was merciless on um, Tuesday morning. I wonder whether we could have sold that better. I'm just not sure whether people really understand what another year of state of emergency means. I've heard health professionals say, actually, you still review it every four weeks. It just means it gives you the opportunity to be very quick and respond to any crisis. I, I think people are getting... People are getting a bit sick of um, the old banana bread recipes, you know, on the news every night and Mm. what they're making. I I think people just want this to be over. And I I feel that because we're more than halfway, it is. But I I think the Premier, even though his personal approval rating still seems to be pretty good, there's a lot of frustration in the air. 
I think so, and I think it's also the language that you use too. The word state of emergency probably fills us with absolute dread of another stage four type lockdown. But as you said, it just allows, I suppose, the powers to be to be quite nimble uh, legally, if nothing else, uh, to to affect change if it has to occur. I've noticed this last week, Caro, some interesting uh, changes or mood changes or behavioural changes in myself and talking it over with a friend I walked with the other day uh, seems to be shared, which is interesting. I am, uh, It's funny, I'm developing a bit of a fear or an anxiety about getting caught up with people actually in person, you know, running into them at the supermarket or something like that. There's a real reticence to spend too much time or get too close, and that's, I'm feeling that anxiety. And um, I also seem to be spending a lot more time, well, we all are, a lot more time in our own head because I guess a lot of us are having fewer in-person conversations. So I think the corona dream thing might be affected to that. I'm just spending too much time with myself. Most of the time I'm quite fascinating, but I am boring myself to death a lot of the time. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think... I've also also noticed that I've really turned to comfort food in the last couple of weeks, and it's dairy-related. So milky coffee, porridge, yogurt, a little bit of cheese before dinner on a biscuit, things I normally don't eat a lot of. And I don't know whether it's the cold weather snap, it could be that, but I have noticed that as well. And I am a bit sick of cooking exotic and interesting meals a la banana bread, as you mentioned earlier. Just bring on the cheese on toast at the moment. Oh, I've got a lovely, easy and yummy recipe for you today. You'll be very happy about that. I agree about the the porridge and the cheese. I also agree about the anxiety about bumping into people, not so much... I've got anxiety about getting coronavirus, which I actually, to be honest, haven't really had all year. It's funny. It's funny that I didn't fear it, being a, a you know relatively healthy and fit person. I never sort of occurred to me that it would be bad. But having now met some people who have relatives who've suffered from it or have got it at the moment, it does sound horrendous and it does sound like it can be a long recovery. And Apart from the inconvenience of getting it, and, you know, because I, I do go to work a couple of times a week, and obviously I'm very careful, and all the people I'm with are very careful, and we all follow the correct procedures, I think that's why you've got the anxiety, because you're worried about getting sick. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, 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 and obviously, that's because the media is, is now interviewing more people who have come through the other side. And 7.30 on the ABC which has been my go-to through this whole virus, I have to say, they will frequently feature uh, people like you and I, uh, young, younger people, not people in their 90s, but, and, and younger than us who have, who have come out the other end. And they talk about, uh, as you say, not only what happened at the time and being on a ventilator and that high anxiety, but the long-lasting impact of this, lung capacity, exhaustion, it just sounds like a terrible form of chronic fatigue for some sufferers. So, yeah, I'm very nervous about getting it, I have to say. The um, the one thing that has changed in terms of um, what will last over, I don't know if it will last beyond this pandemic and who knows whether life will ever be quite the same again, is that, um, we're, as a few um, observers in the media have pointed out, we're not all in this together. Victoria is one out and we are... You know, we've been pretty much treated like a leper colony by the rest of Australia. We're not allowed to go anywhere and people are terrified of Victorians. Whenever anyone gets coronavirus in another state, they seem to blame it back to Victoria. 
So Victoria has bounced back with this um, Click for Vic campaign. Um, I heard it being launched the other day on several radio stations. I heard Brendan McClements, who's the head of Visit Victoria, talking about it. And I've actually been looking up the website. It's really good. It is really good, Cara. So it's a, it's a, it's like an extension, I guess, of empty esky in a way. You know, at the, after the bushfire season earlier this year, you and I talked about how we should be buying produce from those particular areas affected or indeed visiting them for holidays and so on and buying up produce and visiting motels and cafes and all of that kind of thing. Well, this is like an extension of that goodwill that's generated around that time. And in fact, I have been approached by uh, a board member of the um, Tourism Victoria to put the bookshop on there. And I'm in the process of investigating how to do that. It's not as easy as it seems, but I'll, when I get there in the end, I'll, t- I'll share it with everybody. But businesses, whether they are shops or galleries or restaurants or food providers or wineries, whatever they are, they're putting their produce on and you can just click directly and start purchasing and and put together your little basket and away you go. It's a really, really fantastic idea. And I just wondered, Carol, had you seen anything that you liked? Because I have rather, I've decided, following on your suggestion, that we should do buy something at least once a week from Click for Vic. I've fallen in love with the Glen Olive, Rich Glen Olive Estate in Yarrawonga. Their olives and their olive oils look fantastic. No offence, Mr Cobram, but really, it just looks wonderful. No, well, I've found this really lovely um, garden nursery in Nunawading that sells lovely rose and lavender products. And one in one is a, an absolutely beautiful looking room spray that I have ordered. So, um, there, and you're right, there's some um, happy hour at home, wonderful providors, a meat section from I think around the Dalesford Kyneton area where you can order <laughs> eight thousand different types of. Um, beef to your house to fill your freezer with. There's so many wonderful so just just click for Vic. Literally go to your web go to your um Google and press click for Vic or write it. And some of the stuff that comes up, but I'm very, very keen on my um my Nunawadding garden nursery. Mm, well let's I think that's a great idea, Carol, and and uh messengers out there should follow us. Click for Vic and try and buy something at least once a week and support local businesses you might not have heard of before. Have you um can so you're looking at putting the bookshop bookshop on, is that it? Yeah, I've been it's been suggested that I do and I just am in a bit of a a bit of a I suppose inter in, internet um <laughs> Bermuda Triangle at the moment trying to work out how to do that. But I have contacted them directly with an email yesterday to say, how can I do this? So as soon as I find the quick way of doing it, I will share it with the group, Caro. Click for Vic. Now let's move overseas, Corrie. There's less than 70 days to go until the American election. That is unbelievable. That has come around very quickly. It has. It's, um, and it's no, um, there's no set play here, Caro, on who, what the outcome's going to be. I can tell you what. Look, it has turned into the battle of the two white men in their 70s. Uh, Mr. Trump will be 74 if he uh, gains a second term. And Joe Biden at 78 will be the oldest first-term president in American history. We're in the middle of the two parties' conventions to confirm their candidates at the moment. So last week, uh, and I must say, Yes, I was obsessed. I taped it and then because it's on during the day, our time, and then you watch it at night. 
the Democrats' four days conventions. We had celebrities, Caro, past presidents, probably future presidents in amongst there. We had first ladies, state governors, the military, men and women of the military. We had kids, doctors, all via Zoom. <laughs> And all a lot of pre-records and a lot of life crosses and Caro masks everywhere. So that was a very good message for them. But it was so funny because we're used to those big, huge stadiums in the States with the crowds and the balloons and the whole kind of American marching girl craziness of it all. This was much more intimate, I felt. Did you see any of it? I didn't. I've got to be honest, I didn't. But I, I have really enjoyed some of the twos and fro's on um, the various current affairs programs. Really interesting. Yeah, well, well, this week, uh, our time uh, during the day again, and you can watch it at night on CNN when they replay, the Republicans are having their four days where Donald Trump already uh, today has been uh, officially announced as the uh, candidate going forward. And I think what we'll see, Carol, is a very different convention. This one, uh, Donald Trump will be absolutely centre, frontline and centre. He's going to appear every day, as you can imagine. He has uh, assembled around him a whole raft of interesting bods, lots of family members. We'll see Melania, of course, Don Jr., Ivanka, who's just the apple of his eye. Um, and, you know, Mike Pence, Mike Pence, the vice president. And then, you know, people like Abby Johnson, who's an anti-abortion rights activist. Mark and Patricia McCloskey. You remember that couple who pointed guns at people outside their home? Oh, yes. Louis with the Black Lives Matter. They are appearing. I'm not sure whether that's such a good PR message the president should be sending. But anyway, it's a really interesting time. And, of course, now once the Republican convention is over at the end of the week, all focus will be on the forthcoming uh, debates between president and uh, president contender and also vice president Pence and Kamala Harris. So it's all ready to begin. But I just wanted to remind everybody that this is such an important election and we've all heard our parents talk about, or indeed we can recall, Watergate back in the 70s and how that was an absolutely seminal, extraordinary moment in history. We're living this one, guys. Like, this is happening now. So... Even if you just touch base every now and then with what's happening, it is important. Do you think America will continue to be the superpower? It's slipping, isn't it? I think, I think uh, it will, certainly what Joe Biden said last week, he's determined to restore all of those relations with NATO, with Europe, with the Pacific nations, all of that kind of thing, and pull away from uh, the North Koreas and the Russias, as Donald Trump has done in the last four years. So who knows? But it's very, this, this election is very important for Australians, Caro, because as much as we like to think that we are here uh, an independent nation and so on, we have very close defence and economic ties with the US. So whoever holds the presidency has a real impact on us. It's really important that we follow this. It'll be fascinating. It will be. Oh, I just feel that um, I remember living, you know, for that month-long period most recently when living in London in 2012 and thinking and people, you know, very senior sort of um, political and um, economic types saying that London had really passed New York as the um, economic and social and cultural centre of the world. And um, I just wonder if Brexit hadn't happened and um, they had managed, Europe had managed to get its act together, just how much more powerful Europe would be 
with you know mm. it, the UK as part of it against America now. Anyway, it's let's... a really good it's a really good point, and it might be the races on. But um, speaking of races and competitions, we're coming to the pointy end of the footy season, Caro, and I just uh, would love to know this week: Have you been offered a ticket on the last train to Clarksville? <laughs> well, yeah, we spoke about this last week. Um, I've been told I'd be very welcome to move up to Queensland, but look, two months is a very long time. I've wimped it, I've got to say. Um, Leaving the family for two months would be one thing. I don't think it would be the best thing for Footy Classified. And, you know, they're Channel 9 and the Agent 3AW, um, as well as the wonderful Don't Shoot the Messenger, could all go on with me in Queensland and you in Melbourne, Corrie. In fact, someone from the AFL Hub said, uh, bring your podcast mate up. You know, she can stay. Oh. The, the AFL's paying for everyone for the first two weeks. Um, living yeah, well, in- you know, I, I, used to, I used to work for the AFL, so it would be quite an easy transition. I'd be very happy on a banana lounge beside you reading a book, Carol, with a cup of tea. I somehow think um, running a bookshop from <laughs> Queensland <laughs> in Hawkesbury might hey, be Carol, tricky. What, what, um, what, how, why would it not work for Footy Classified? Wouldn't Channel 9 just move the whole team up there? Well, that's the point. Matthew Lloyd can't go because he's, he does the footy show, the Sunday footy show, which is a really big show. I mean, Channel 7, re- bizarrely, no longer have a Sunday morning football show. So that show on Channel 9 is, you know, the football show every Sunday. It runs for an hour and a half. And he wouldn't want to leave that show. You've already got Kane Corns reporting in from South Australia. At the moment, he can't get back to Victoria. Uh, Damien Barrett, who, you know, obviously does some, the other big podcast for Croc Media, which, what's it called again, Miss Jane? The Sounding Board. The Sounding Board. That was just a way of, that was a way of giving it a big plug. Damien's going up because, of course, he works for the AFL Media. And um, I think it's going to be too difficult for them with too many people reporting in would Craig Hutchison go if it was me and Craig and two other people in different studios around? I just don't think it's good to have us all on different panels. So no, I'm not, long, long version, short version, not going. It's better to work, I think, sometimes on the outer in football. It's best not to be on, in the inner sanctum. It makes it easier sometimes to be able to report without fear or favour. And as um, you're, I think you're about to ask me, there's a fair bit going on in footy at the moment. Including, well, that's what I want to know. How's it all going? Well, it was, it's been a bit of a black week at football clubs in the AFL this week because the AFL has cut 22% of its staff, including some pretty senior executives. Um, clubs are letting a lot of people go as well. The club's still in finals contention, are probably by and large keeping their powder dry with which, which coaches they're going to keep, etc., and with which coaches they're going to lose. Not everyone. Some have already made those changes. But, I mean, the big interest is now the grand final. As we speak, it hasn't been announced, but I'm certain the grand final will be held at the Gabba in Brisbane and that it will be at night. Tony Cochran, the Gold Coast chairman, football club chairman, who incredibly has won a Tony Award for his work, his um, production role in Hairspray on Broadway. He's... Um, what? <laughs> I know. Oh, he ran the V8 supercars. He He's a big music promoter. He's got a big international production company. So he is chairing the Queensland bid for Anastasia Palaszczuk and they are making their bid. Well, it, it, it has happened at, at the time we're recording this. They're doing it on Tuesday morning, um, the 24th, uh, 25th, I should say, of August. 
I think there'll be an announcement by Friday. I, I don't think Perth was ever really seriously in the running. I think the bad blood between the AFL and Mark McGowan is getting pretty serious now. And Mark McGowan continues to goad the AFL. And um, that relationship has been not great ever since um, there was argy-bargy over the building of Optus Stadium. I don't think Telstra, the AFL's major broadcaster either was very keen on having a grand final at Optus Stadium. But there's a lot of reasons why logistically Perth would be difficult. And um, I don't think um, Gillan McLaughlin and Steve Marshall, the South Australian Premier, are completely enamoured with each other either at the moment. I think there's a bit of ego there. Someone told me it goes back to university days, but whether that, whether that's true, oh, come I, on, don't, boy. I don't know. Caro, when these, um, when these uh, different bods pitch for the grand final who are, who's who are the final deciders is it does it go as far as the commission or is it just Gillen and his management team oh well the commission has final say on everything but they've been a bit of a well i think they've i think they i've never known a time covering footy when the commission has been so um lacking in influence i think um i think richard goider is very much a standoff chairman he's also chairing Qantas, I mean, he's, he's chairman of several other companies. He's pretty busy at the moment. He believes in empowering CEOs. He's very lucky. Gillan McLaughlin's done a pretty good job this year because, seriously, the commission has done next to nothing. They, they are so removed from the major decisions. They will obviously give the final ratification of where the grand final is played, but it'll be Gillan McLaughlin who'll make the call. And um, I think that, as I've said many times, after everything Queensland has done for footy this year in keeping the season going, it was a a moral obligation, even if the ground, even if the stadium doesn't measure up to Adelaide Oval, which I think in the end would have been the second choice. And we will see finals there too, but won't it be weird? Won't it be weird? No finals, no footy at the MCG. It'll be absolutely... It, it'll be a weird lead-up to the whole, week, the whole week. I mean, Grand Final Week is all about... The street parade, the, the the corporate tents being set up in Brunton Avenue, and if you if you happen to be driving through to the city, you get that little buzz when you see all of the action happening. And in recent years, of course, with Richmond's success, right next door the Richmond Footy Oval, you're often seeing them training, and and it's just so exciting. There'll be none of that. It's going to be really weird. Yeah, and, and again, as we speak, Corrie, I keep having to say that, but um, Premier Daniel Andrews hasn't announced the handover or the relinquishing of the grand final, but I'm sure that will happen in a matter of days, if not hours, and that's going to be quite an emotional wrench. I think it helps that um, it's a Labor government that um, has been very respectful up in Queensland of what the Victorian government is being forced to do, and I think there's going to be that ongoing cooperation there. But I'd be amazed if there was a grand final parade this year. I think that's one of those issues that is just going to be very difficult with social distancing. But I do think that Tony Cochran has got a few tricks up his sleeve for the grand final entertainment. And a night grand final will be a really interesting experiment as well. Oh, oh well, it'll be interesting. Watch this space. The other, the other big thing that's happened, obviously, um, since we last spoke is um, the Dreamtime game and the Sir Doug Nichols round. It's um, been punctuated this how, year. How did, you, how, did you think it, how did you think it went, Caro? Oh, I thought the welcome to country in Darwin um, before the – it was, was better than the game. I mean, before the Richmond Essendon <laughs> game was just so inspirational. It was, it was simple. It? It, was it was very moving. Loud. It was moving. It was, it was just in every way – 
Oh, it, it really, it, it inspired me and, and better than anything I've seen. And there's a lot of calls to have the Dreamtime game once in a while in Darwin. Obviously, the money is not going to be made up there because, you know, you have it in Melbourne, you fill the MCG and every politician under the sun is there to, you know, make themselves um, part of the story. But um, no, I, I, I didn't think it was a great game. I, it was interesting watching it on Brendan's big birthday because he's Essendon and I'm Richmond and there was a bit of... Um, bit of bickering about the umpiring and certain people yes, thinking Dal, they were wrong. You, you went to bed roaring your tiger roar, didn't you? No, it didn't go down. No, we, I didn't want to be rubbing it in. He was, was not happy at the end of the day, Brendan. He felt that um, the umpires crucified him and staging was a big issue in the game and I think it's going to become an issue for the AFL at the end of the year. They'll review what they how they punish players who overact for free kicks. But the other, the other sort of big story of the weekend was that incredibly harrowing read by Russell Jeffrey about Robert Muir and um, mm. what he had to endure as a footballer at St Kilda. Oh, it was just on so many levels, the way the media treated him, how he played up the mad dog name for money because he needed the money when he went on the footy show that time, the exploitation. Mm. The, I mean, some people have tried to come out and revisit history again and say that... Um, it wasn't that bad or that a lot of players put up with some of the stuff that he had to endure, that being urinated on, et cetera, was just a ritual at St Kilda. Oh, look, it was all of it was pretty horrifying, Corrie, but the incredible um, heartening thing that came out of it for me was that St Kilda took out just hours to get on the front foot to say we are so sorry. There was no mitigation. There was no transactional oh. sort of negotiation, no backroom politics before they apologised the way the AFL did for years, years over Adam Goods. And they, you know, really waited for a documentary to come out before they did anything. And Matt Finnis actually put his name to the apology, the St Kilda CEO, which Gillan oh. McLaughlin has never done in a public speaking way or in any form of press release. I think they did it once in an annual report, but neither Gillan McLaughlin or Richard Goyder has ever personally apologised in public to Adam Goods, and I thought it was really important. And interesting that Collingwood chimed in with their own apology because of the way the Victoria Park fans treated um, Robert Muir. And Robert yet, Muir, yeah. And yet they still, haven't, they still won't apologise to Heretia Lumumba for situations that they are continuing to re review when why not just take his word for it that he was, you know, he was hurt by all of this and actually say they're sorry. Are they worried about legal action? I, I don't know what it is. Well, I think I think that must be, don't you, that must be at the root of all of these uh, unwillingnesses to apologise. It's not that hard to say sorry. It really isn't. It is, Corrie. Um, it is for the AFL in Collingwood in this case. Now, Corrie... Thanks to Red Energy, on a happier note, you have a crush. I do, Caro, and it goes back to the Democratic Convention last week. My crush is 13-year-old Braden Harrington, who was who came onto the screen, I think from memory, the last, the final night, and he spoke about how he met Joe Biden a few months ago when people were allowed to move about before lockdown and so on. And he was introduced to Joe Biden. This is Braden's father, who said, this is my son, he has a stutter. And we can actually see the footage because they included it of this particular moment. Joe Biden talks to Braden, uh, comes down to his height um, and says to him, I was a stutterer as well. There are certain tactics that you can do um, and kept in touch with Braden. And so fast forward to the Democrat convention 
and Braden delivered a little speech. And he said that, uh, that Joe Biden had showed him how to mark up his speeches so it was easier to say some words out aloud. And so I did the same thing today, Braden says, and then he held up a copy of his speech with all Joe Biden's little notes on it and notes that um, Braden had done. Well, this, of course, went viral. There was hardly a dry eye in the house. Braden did on a few occasions stutter, but most of the time he was confident. And even when he got stuck in that stuttering moment, he still had a smile on his face. This thing went viral, was shared on Twitter more than three million times uh, within the first 24 hours. And I think the Democrats were incredibly thrilled with the response to this because, of course, for them, it drew a stark contrast between Joe Biden and President Trump, who a few years ago, Carol, you might remember, he actually mocked a journalist who had a disability at a press conference. So anyway, I thought the kid did an amazing job and he is my crush, little Braden. For Red Energy, Corey, that's a very worthwhile crush and it was a lovely moment. Now, you're on a roll. BSF is upon us, book, screen and food. I'm really looking forward to hear what you think of this much-talked-of book. Go ahead. Uh, I am the canary down the coal mine this week, Caro. Finding Freedom, Harry and Megan and the Making of <laughs> oh, a Modern Royal Family. Brilliant. By, by Omid Scobie and Caroline Durand. Who are these two people, you might ask? Caroline Durand is a royal contributor to Elle and Oprah magazine, and Omid Scobie is the royal editor at large for Harper's Bazaar. Now, old Fleet Street followers like you and I, Caro, can recall the days when the royal correspondent of media organisations such as The Times or The Guardian or so on, and people like Nigel Dempster just ruled the roost. They had so many connections within all of the palaces. It seems that young Omid and Caroline, who's a bit older, um, I'm not sure that they have the full gamut of Kensington Palace, Buckingham Palace, and of course the Sussex's own world. It seems that both of them have just spent the past couple of years following uh, Meghan and Harry as their relationship developed. So what do I think of this book? This book is okay. Honestly, in the time of COVID, it's really good, easy reading. I read it in two stints on the sofa on the weekend when it was raining, and that's probably what it deserves. So it's it's bouncy, it's good, but a lot of it we've read before. The big question for me, Caro, is did Megan and Harry actually take part in this book? Uh, the authors say they didn't, and in fact, uh, the Sussexes have come out and said they had they did not um, work with the authors at all on this book. There is a lot of intimate stuff, probably a bit too much, like the glamping in Africa and their proposal and the weird little emojis of love that Harry sent Meghan in the first few weeks of their romance. I mean, how does anybody know that detail other than the two participants? I'm not really sure. Oh, they told, look, their, they told their friends about it, obviously. Yeah, well, and the friends have gone and told. But the interesting, like, for me, it's a social observation as much as it is, you know, oh, goody, some gossip about the royals. And the social observation for me is this, Carol. I was books editor at the Sunday Age when Andrew Morton's book on Diana first came out in the early 90s, and that was the one that sort of threatened to blow apart the British monarchy forever. And I am interested in how uh, these two books sort of stack up because, of course, the publishers have been trying to say it's the same sort of thing. It's Andrew Morton all over again. Well, it's not because 
first of all, Harry's role, you know, he's not heir to the throne and minor roles these days play even less of a role than they used to. The book is poorly written, I have to say, so many cliches. I do remember Andrew Morton's as being well-constructed and well-sourced. And the other thing is that, um, it, it, you know, to what extent were Harry and Meghan involved in this? I don't think after finishing it that they were. I don't think they would be super happy with the end result. But, um, look, on a rainy day when you're in lockdown, what else is there to do? <laughs> well, well, I'm just interested, you know, being me and being the gossip that I am, what was, the, what was your take out with the relationship between the sisters-in-law? Okay, so this is interesting, Caro, because as the journalists point out, the sisters-in-law have had very few connections, like meetings. I'm talking about so, Kate, Kate, obviously. Yeah, correct. Yep. The Duchess of Cambridge and the Duchess of Sussex have had very few connections. So there were, uh, they, Megan had spent a fair bit of time in London, had met William on one occasion when Kate was in the country with the children. Um, it was quite a while before they met up as a foursome. Um, the, as the as the story goes on, uh, there is a suggestion from the friends of Meghan and Harry that Meghan really hoped that a close relationship with Kate would evolve. It didn't. And Harry and Meghan, in fact, always hoped that their home in Windsor would become uh, a place where they could go to each other's houses on weekends and stuff, that they would call into Kensington Palace and see the Cambridges and there'd be this toing and froing and family barbecues. I mean, I have no idea what their perception was, but I think they thought the four of them were all going to get along very well. And I just don't think um, Kate in particular pushed that. Now, I can't blame her. You know, it's a different sort of family dynamic. It's not how we run our families, but the sisters-in-law... You know, it just wasn't all um, cosy. And I don't think they were given the opportunities, to be honest, to, to build a lasting relationship. So that's it. Finding Freedom. It's a bit of a lighthearted reading. Thirty four ninety nine at a good bookshop near you. Mm, I'm looking forward. I'd love to know what really happened after baby Archie was born and whether, you know, Megan really did freeze out the Cambridges. Who knows? Corrie, um, well, I, I'm sure it is a great read and, as you say, great escapism, even though it's sort of real life. Now to screen. Now, we were both very excited when one of our favourites from a few years ago that you put me onto originally, The Last Tango in Halifax, had actually made a new series. We mentioned it last week. And, of course, here in Melbourne, another brilliant series or series of telemovies, really, from Oh, God, it was more than 10, must be 15 or longer, 20 years ago, starring Rebecca Gibney, Halifax FP, which was just a brilliant show. And Melbourne was the star of that, really, wasn't it? And Rebecca's back as well. So there's two Halifaxes on our screen. It's raining, it's raining Halifaxes, <laughs> Caro. Look, last tango in Halifax, I'm glad that you mentioned it. It's been three years since we last caught up with Alan and Celia and Gillian and our Caroline and all of that sort of stuff. And... Alan and Celia are still married, but they are facing a few issues um, as as relationships move into their middle term, if you like. Um, they are bickering a fair bit, and the the political differences they do they do at one stage mention Brexit, and obviously Celia was in favour of uh, uh, of, of Brexit, and Alan was in favour of Remain. 
and he's the Guardian reader and she's the arch conservative. So all of this is happening. But then there are all these pressures on them. Uh, Alan's brother Ted has visited from New Zealand. It says he's never going home. Uh, the kids are worried about money, so there's been a bit of a call on Alan from Gillian in particular for a loan, and Celia's not... I, I just think it's so realistic of what families go through. I know, Celia's obsessed by getting a new kitchen, isn't she? And the reference to Brexit was really dark, because Brexit sort of happened in between show series. So obviously it you did. get the impression there was a major falling out and they've never really made up, so much so that Alan wants to go and get a job at the local supermarket. Exactly. It's just, it's just the tensions that surround marriage, the tensions that surround um, money and families, the tensions when relatives come to stay and then they don't go home. All of this stuff we're very familiar with. And as one reviewer said, um, in many respects, a warm blanket of Sunday night comfort or here in Australia, Saturday night comfort. And the reviewer said it's always just a step away from a surprisingly serrated edge. I'm loving it. And I am loving the return of Timothy West. As, um, as Alan's brother, Ted, who's arrived from New Zealand. Yeah, no, oh, look, isn't um, Derek Jacobi just the most wonderful actor? He is just, remember, he, I, Claudius, was his crowning moment when he sort of burst onto our ABC screens back in the, wow, was that the 70s or the 80s? Yeah, it was, it, it was the 70s, Carol. And what's really interesting about that is that Timothy West also arrived on our screens around the same time. Do you remember that fantastic series, Edward the Seventh? Yes, and yes. That, he he played Edward the Seventh. Annette Crosby played Queen Victoria. Robert Hardy from the old um, All Creatures Great and Small. He played Prince Albert. Uh, it was just one of the most fantastic series, and so and it happened at the same time as I Claudius. So these two stars of English stage, as they both were, morphed into the television zone with with huge um, aplomb, and have been part of our lives ever since. Yeah, no, look, it's um, a wonderful show, brilliantly acted and has its dark moments. There's clearly, I think there might be a bit of a workplace sexual harassment issue here too, building up for our Caroline. But anyway, say no more. (laughs) And um, Tuesday nights on Channel 9 is the return of Halifax with Rebecca Gibney being dragged back out of her happy retirement or university job to solving another very dark, dark crime case. So, um, And, And do you like Halifax? I love it, and I love Rebecca Gibney. I think, and I noticed she's in um, a new film out of New Zealand that got oh, four stars, I think, in the Weekend Australian this week by um, David Stratton, which was is sort of being compared to a bit of a um, a bit of a crime romp in the um, sort of genre of Guy Ritchie. But anyway, so she's doing a lot of work at the moment, and she's always been one of my favourite Australian, New Zealand, Australasian, I guess, actresses. She's just wonderful. You reckon she suffered from the fact that she was so beautiful as a young woman, that maybe she was given the lighter, you know, fluffier roles when, in fact, she's an actor of such substance? Well, I, I think, um, yeah, I think he should have done more film work, certainly. Um, but Halifax was her, you know, when she she started working on this series, it was her crowning glory. She's done a few lighter-hearted things. She did that uh, that show that didn't really work out, a sort of a crime caper with um, Magda Zabanski. It was on Channel 10 for a while. Anyway, I love her and I'm really looking forward to Halifax, the Melbourne version. So before we finish BSF, Corrie, I've just got this recipe that you are going to love. And it came from Kel Island, our friend up in Queensland. She got it 
from a friend of hers by the name of Carolyn Pridham. Carolyn's husband, Andrew Pridham, is the chairman of the Sydney Swans. So it's a bit of a, you know, swan genre sort of, um, <laughs> except it's not involving swans, it's involving chickens. And it comes from Nigella. And it features in Nigella Express. And it is the easiest, yummiest recipe, cock o Riesling, as opposed to oh. cock o van. Kel says even she can't stuff it up, which is so unfair because we know Kel's a very good cook. She just likes things that are a bit simple. This is she likes a, few, a few steps rather than a lot of steps. Look, this involves join the join the club, Kel. I say for that's it. Sake, I'm one of those. That's it. And the boneless, skinless chicken thighs are the key. So she doesn't even bother to sear the meat. So you don't really want skin on your chicken thighs, and she doesn't bother them. Being boned. She, this recipe is for six, and they say you use 12 chicken thighs, but as a better sort of guess of proportions, get 1.25 kilos. I just halved it, mm-hmm. for, even though that's three people. I halved it, and two of us managed to knock it off with a few leftovers the next day. And very simple. You add leek with um, fried lardens, you know, those big chunky you know, blocks of bacon. Mm-hmm. Fry all of that mm-hmm. up with some olive oil, with oil. Um, garlic-infused olive oil, in fact. Then you cut the thickened chicken thighs into pieces. You tip each of them into the pan with bay leaves, torn mushrooms, and the mushrooms you use are um, those oyster mushrooms torn into strips. You stir in the double cream, which Nigella doesn't do until she's serving it the next day with pasta as as a leftover. So you can or cannot use the cream. And then you chuck in curry. Sorry, Cara, did you say sour cream or regular cream? Double cream. Not sour. Cream, right? Then Sorry, you yep. throw in a bottle of Riesling. Just chuck it in. And if you halve the recipe, oh. halve the recipe, Corey. Very simple. Half the bottle of Riesling and drink the rest. Then you season with salt and pepper. Bring to the boil. Simmer for 30 to 40 minutes. And it is absolutely beautiful. You put in the cream at the end if you want to. It's even better the next day. It is so beautiful. Miss Jane has got it on her wet on. We don't have a website on our show notes. Thank you, Jane. So really, Nigella's Coco Riesling is one that you will love, and that is BSF thanks to Red Energy, powered by the Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Call 131 806 if you want real Aussie energy. And the Melbourne-based team will help you out. Please say that Corrie and Caro sent you. Yes, and I, uh, I, I can. All I can say is that, that I endorse that, Caro, because they were so helpful to us when we switched over to Red Energy. Now, Caro, you are grumpy about something. Well, Corrie, it's not a crush this time to do with my football club. I am grumpy about my football club. The Richmond Football Club is in the eight. People think that they can maybe win the flag. They're certainly not favourite at the moment, though. But they're not behaving well. I didn't like the dressing room groping. It became a real, you know, a really yucky and weird and disturbing story, not well handled by the club in the first instance, although probably handled pretty well in the end by Brendan Gale. If I was Brendan Gale and Peggy O'Neill, I would be worried about some of the behaviour going on in the hubs. I think that certainly the Richmond behaviour, Damien Hardwick has not been himself. He seems on edge. He doesn't seem to have enjoyed the COVID experience. He's a very good coach, but some of his comments, having a go at David Schwartz for crying in a grand final was just mean-spirited and against what Richmond stand for. I didn't like his bad sportsmanship after the win against Sydney when he had a real crack at John Longmire. He had to apologise for that. He's been grumpy about the MCG. He's just been grumpy. 
And um, you know, he, he said the well, teams. No, no, he must be. He must be stressed, Carol, keeping an eye on all of all of the naughty behaviour. It must be very stressful. Well, yeah, and you know, we've had the Brooke Cochin Brooke Cochin issue, and Trent Cochin initially was very angry that there was pressure on him and his family to pay the fine. There was even talk that you know he'd threatened to leave the hub if um, this um, story was going to continue to go the way it was going. I don't, he's been great on the field, Trent, but some of the off-field stuff, look, I, I've just been really disappointed in the way Richmond has carried themselves. They're not particularly popular with the AFL at the moment and um, I think they need a firm hand. So I'm grumpy about Richmond and I wonder if there's a, a very um, – a, a friend from – is a Hawthorne supporter who I respect um, has likened it to some of – what it was like barracking for Hawthorne as Hawthorne got to the end of that incredibly successful era. And Tim Lane yeah. Tim Lane made the point the other day on 3AW, Corrie, uneasy is the head that wears the crown. And maybe Oh, that's so true. Maybe there's a bit of that about it. But anyway, I'm grumpy about Richmond and I hope they start behaving better as they head into September and October. But Corrie, you're going to kick off quick questions. I am. I wanted to ask you, how did you celebrate the corona birthday of our friend Brendan? Lots of Zooms. Lots of Zoom drinks, some lovely gifts delivered to the door and um, via me, including that wonderful book you gave him. Is it called A Loft or Lofted? It's a golf book. Lofted. 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 Boy, has that been popular on our coffee table this week. Brendan has absolutely loved it. Um, yeah, a lovely, a lovely Zoom drinks with the kids was an absolute highlight. Um, Clem made a lovely speech. Ned did a dance. Rose over in Amsterdam said some lovely things, and all their partners were involved. And that was look, Zoom drinks are not like real drinks, but they're better than nothing. We had a beautiful meal. Clem cooked her favourite, her, her famous ribeye. Mum made sent round her beautiful tomato and onion pie, or we picked it up, and it was a lovely day. So you know, and Aww. sadly he couldn't separate celebrate with a Bombers win, but. You know they were playing Richmond, so that wasn't all bad for me either. Corey, but he did get to hear he did get to hear you roar at the end of the night, Carol. No, he he look he he actually didn't. There was many, no... many 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 men many men in Melbourne would fantasise about that. Clem actually <laughs> settled down. Clem actually backed up the next day and delivered these most beautiful ham and cheese toasties. So um, yeah, she was she was a very good daughter, and her and her partner Will brought around the most incredible bottle of wine. Anyway, it was a very enjoyable birthday. He dropped that off, so that was great. Corrie, what's your tip for parents of toddlers during lockdown? Boy, there'd be a few people okay, watching well, this. <laughs> well, I was reminded of this yesterday when uh, looking at a, a another video, yet another because I live on them at the moment of the grandchildren. And Hattie and Willow are dressed up in tutus with Ugg boots because it has been very cold in um, in Ballarat. Always a good look. And they're doing craft activities. And that's just been Francesca's saving grace over this time. She's just bringing in all the craft activities, you know, cutting up paper. And, um, in fact, they probably could have had a little crack at that most interesting art creation that you were talking about the other day, Caro. Oh, the um, Quality Street. Oh, yes, I've got to send Miss Jane a picture of the Quality Street picture, the painting. Well, I think, it's I think so, it was not a painting, it looks it, like. I think it sent it up to Ballarat as well. But, look, the tips, the tips that I have observed in these kids, being my children, doing it so well, is um, lots of craft, lots of dressing up, tutus for girls or boys, who cares. And they on the weekend, they also bought a trampoline, one of those ones that's enclosed, a portable one. And that's been proving to be a real hit. So if you've got a bit of a garden area, that's what I would be doing. Caro, the Victorian government's cheerio ads. 
Who would you like to see send a cheerio to lockdown Victoria, wishing us well? Do we want a Victorian or an external external Australian? If you're doing someone from outside of Victoria who loves Victoria, then I'd use Buddy Franklin. Oh, yeah. Don't you think? Buddy's great. And, and he's sort of a very, um, you know, he, he was in Melbourne for a very long time. He is loved by one and all. It's been so awful watching him miss this season. So that's just been, that's just a name that came out of, came out of nowhere. I don't know. But no, Barry Cassidy would be mine. Now, Corrie, on a, yes, what is your current favourite TV show theme music? Vera. There it is. It's very evocative, it. isn't it? I love it. It's by award-winning British composer Ben Bartlett. And I was reading a little story on Ben, how he created this music, and he decided to start from a very simple idea of using just four chords. Um, going back to my piano days, I do know what he's talking about. Miss Jane being the musician that she is, will definitely know. He goes from D minor to E to A minor to D minor. And that is essentially the start of Vera. And I tell you what, Caro, as soon as I hear that theme music, not only do I get shivers, shivers of excitement because Vera is about to start, but I also just get that physical response you do to a beautiful piece of music. I just love it. I think it's great. And the other one I love is Broadchurch, I have to say. I love Broadchurch and also Marcella, which is back on the telly at the moment. Oh, what about the last Marcella tango music. in Halifax? I love the theme music to that and I love the credits too. Oh, yeah, too. It's, a little, it's a little bit daggy. The credits are brilliant, aren't they? The way they do the family tree, it's so oh, I, I think I love the I love the theme music of Last Tango. It's really mo- I find it very moving and going. It makes you yeah, think about the is. original story of two people who didn't get together when they should have because a letter wasn't delivered and discovered each other much later in life. But the other one for me this year has been, um, oh, you know, Mrs. America, which used um, Beethoven's yeah, Fifth. How good was that? Anyway, yeah, we- yeah and, and 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 the graphics as well. We digress. We What's been your hit online purchase this week? Oh, there's been a few, I've got to say. <laughs> I've got to be into the old um, tap, tap, tap on the front door. Well, well, can I just say, most Australians are following you, Caro. The figures of online activity in the last six months have gone through the roof. Well, Brendan's discovered Bunnings Home Delivery and we've finally fixed the outdoor light. It came in about, seemed to come in about two hours. This very bizarre sort of very hard to source light globe. So that was one. Vasily's Black Grit was another one. But I've been on to... Um, the Tesla's website, which Jane would know well. Oh, oh the yes, dahlias. Oh, the dahlias. They are so beautiful. And I thought they'd all be finished for the year, but I ordered a couple of dahlias and a new oriental lily that I'm so – I just you – know, I've got nowhere to put it, but I just ordered it because it was so beautiful. And let's see how it turns out. And, Carol, don't, don't forget Trelaws for the roses as well. Oh, Trelaws, they they uh, they've been doing online for years before anybody even thought of online, and they home deliver, and their their roses come so well packed. They're fantastic. I've never had anything other than pure success with their roses. That would be my tip, actually, if we were doing tips. The other thing that arrived at our house the other day was a golf net for Pete. So oh, the golf nets finally biggest. arrived. Oh. <laughs> it took it took over a week, but it's it that's probably been physically the biggest purchase in this household. 
They're um they're very hard to come by the old golf nets, as my children found out when they were searching for pre- presents for Brendan. Anyway, oh the other one, the other one that um I think was finally launched last week, and you know I'm a Four Pillars Gin fan. They've got this wonderful new one with a green label, and you know my penchant for green, and it's called um olive. It's an olive. It's made out of olive leaves. That's how they've. That's the botanical that's made the gin. Ooh, wow, it's really yummy. It's really nice. I love your trivia questions, Corrie. Barbara Eden turned 89 this week. Were you more of an I Dream of Jeannie or a Bewitched fan? You loved your magical girls, didn't you, growing up? <laughs> I do. And I'm, I must say I went to a fancy dress party when I was about 10, dressed as I Dream of Jeannie with my hair and a big ponytail. But I have to say, Carol, I was way more a Bewitched fan. I thought Bewitched was the most clever, extraordinary show. I loved Gladys Kravitz, The Neighbour. I loved Endora, the pesky mother-in-law. I even loved Darren, the hopeless husband of Samantha. I just, I loved it. I loved it. I can sing this song. I love it. I know all the characters. I know what they're doing in life afterwards. It's, uh, what about you? Which would be your favourite? Oh, no, I loved um, Bewitched. Um, what's her name? Montgomery? Elizabeth Montgomery, yeah, Elizabeth Montgomery, a beautiful actress who really um, made some films. She was in that Lizzie Borden film, wonderful actor. But no, she, um, I thought she should have kicked on a lot more than she did. She was absolutely brilliant. And, of course, Agnes Moorhead, who was in Citizen Kane and, and part of the Orson yes, Welles um, acting studio, absolutely brilliant. Darren changed a couple of times, Durwood, Darwood. Yeah, yeah, but, he did. Durwood, Durwood did because uh, the first one, Dick York, was uh, he actually uh, had to give up the role of Darren after season three, I think, because he had a terribly, terrible chronic back issue, which oh. was really awful. Oh. Yeah, so they had to swap them around. Another interesting, completely trivial fact about Bewitched Carol is that Elizabeth Montgomery in every show wore her own wardrobe. Did they wore she? all her own clothes, yeah. She's absolutely gorgeous. And you look back now and realise how gorgeous she was. No, a really, really funny show. I love Bewitched. I liked I Dream of Jeannie, but looking, you know, there was some, if, if the feminist um, psyche of us all today would probably prefer Samantha. Oh, and just a bit creepy, don't <laughs> to, to you? To the old babs, I know. Creepy? I know, a genie turning I, up. Tony Nelson, Tony Nelson just took complete advantage of her. She cleaned for him. She looked after him. She got him out of trouble. Oh, well, honestly. Yeah, no, no. I, I think I think we all prefer Elizabeth Montgomery. Corrie, on that very weird note, it's time to say goodbye <laughs> for another week. Happy thank, note. Thank you, Edward. very happy. Thank you to Red Energy. Thank you for all your contributions contributions this week both outside and within the podcast thank you to the wonderful miss jane if you have any feedback please send that comments tips and suggestions to our don't shoot the messenger facebook page don't forget our bonus episodes you can follow us on instagram and twitter at don't shoot pod and you can email us feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. We're going to be in Melbourne while the rest of the world continues outside of our funny little lockdown city and state, but we will get through it, folks, and we'll be back next week. And, Corrie? Don't shoot the messenger.
The Sounding Board with Craig Hutchison and Damien Barrett. It's sport, it's the media, it's talking about the issues that matter. So Damo was sent to Brisbane to cover the formative years of the Brisbane Bears slash Lions. You've got to have a conciliatory relationship with the one subject you're writing about. Damo went into Brisbane. You misrepresent me as a hater. With the sole intent of taking down the one <laughs> club that he was there, whose livelihood he depended upon, and you went to war. I'll tell you what, if you're on TV and I don't watch you, it's not personal, mate. I just have other things to do sometimes no, just... on a Monday night night at 11 o'clock or 10.30. I would explore the money side of it, absolutely, because even my levels of exposure to the financial situations we are all facing, Hachi, have me take the view that if there is a ridiculous check in front of the AFL for the grand final of 2020 to be played in Perth, I'm looking at that check. Are you taking it? I'm probably taking the check. For DrinkWise, stay safe, and if you're choosing to drink, please drink wise. The Sounding Board with Hachi and Damo. Subscribe and listen today wherever you get your podcasts.